and let's welcome them to this pulpit in Jesus' name. God. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you clap your hands to the Lord one more time? It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Did we not have a good time in the house of the Lord this morning? Did we not have a good birthday service this morning? Amen. It's an honor to be able to minister here. Again, it's always good to have my family with me. Thank you, Pastor, for allowing me to be here. The honor is always ours more than any. We always get such a blessing being here because we're treated, we're treated just as country folks say, top drawer. That's what we're treated as. And, and it's just, uh, it, we just feel so at home. Everybody here always keeps us in their prayers and always letting us know they, they love us and they're praying for us and they're blessed by the ministry of me and my beautiful wife. And I'm very thankful to be able to be used of God. I'm very thankful for the word of the Lord. Amen. I love how God's word can begin to break yokes. I love how God's word can begin to change the course of things. If you don't know God's word, you have no idea the capability of what God can do for you. It's only when you begin to get into his word when you find out all of what you have available and access to in your walk with God. I believe so many times that we don't understand or don't even know what all we have access to in the, in the spirit realm or in the kingdom of God because we have no idea what his word says. And so I'm so thankful that his word lets us know uh, that he blesses us and that he directs us and that he feeds us daily. Because God's people perish through lack of knowledge and lack of vision. And we've got to be continually growing in God's word and continually being fed upon the word of God. Because no man liveth by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So again, this, morning, uh, this evening, I'm thankful to be able to be here. I'm thankful for the word of the Lord. Tonight, I want to try to... Be a little bit of an extension of what I spoke about this morning. I guess you can call it a part two uh, of what I spoke about this morning, but a little bit of a different angle. I, I'm very thankful for the promises of God. Amen. I'm very. Th How many are thankful for the promises that God's made to you, that God's made to humanity, that God has put access to you? Amen. I'm so thankful that when God makes a promise, he doesn't break it. And so tonight I want to extend that just a little bit further. In a different angle, if you will. In, in 1 Chronicles 13 and 7, if you would turn with me to 1 Chronicles 13 and 7. I want to speak on something I feel would be, would go along very well with this morning. If you were not here this morning, uh, I began to talk about when God makes a promise, it's unbreakable. God is a God of his word. When God says something, it's set in stone. When God begins to give a promise to his people and begins to tell you that you're free, you better believe that you're free. When God tells you you're healed, even when you don't feel healed, you better believe God's got a healing for you. When God says you're delivered and they feel like you're still in bondage, deliverance is there for you. It's within your reach. It just depends on whether how free you really want to be. Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And sometimes we just don't invite the spirit of the Lord. Amen. That's a whole other sermon, but I'll move on from that. First Chronicles 13 and 7 says this. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab. And Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. And David 
And all Israel played before God with all of their might and with singing and with harps and with psalteries and with timbrels and with cymbals and with trumpets. They had a whole orchestra arranged. Verse 9 says, And when they came unto the threshing floor of Chaden, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark. For the ox stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And he smote him because he put his hand to the ark. And there he died before God. Tonight I want to talk about sacred things. Or I guess another title would be, Don't Blame the Ox. Don't Blame the Ox. <laughs> I'm talking about some sacred things this morning. How many understands what sacred is? How many are thankful that you're in a sacred atmosphere right now? How many are thankful that you're a part of a sacred body of Christ? Amen. An ecclesia called out body of believers in this last day generation. This is a sacred time right now. And I'm thankful for his sacred word. Pastor, if you'll pray for us right now over this church. Lord. of Jesus. Clap your hands to the Lord before you're seated. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Clap your hands one more time unto the Lord tonight. Oh, how honored I am to be in the presence of the Lord. And you may be seated in Jesus' name. I believe we can all agree here tonight that there are precious things in our lives. There are things that we would consider very precious. Now, they might not necessarily be considered holy to you, but precious nonetheless. Not necessarily just something that you would call holy unto the Lord, but extremely precious unto you as an individual for whatever reason. Things we protect, that word precious there means of high price or of great value, we very valuable or costly. When I was younger, I don't know how many people still have these, but when I was younger, my aunt had a china cabinet in her house. And any time you walked through a little old country house back in the woods of Millersville, Georgia, what was a little old mobile home at the end of a dirt road driveway, when you walked through that little old single-wide mobile home and you got near that china cabinet, you began to hear every bit of china in that cabinet begin to shake and rock and everything. And my aunt was very get irritable real easy, if you will. And me, I was just an excited kid, believe it or not. Hallelujah. Had a lot of energy. I know you can't tell that. But I ran all the time. And every time I'd come through the house, I was running. And every time I would get near that china cabinet, boy, that thing would get to shaking. And my aunt would just get to fussing at me and run me straight out of the house because she knew I was going to break one of her precious plates. Now, the china that was in that cabinet was not something that you ate on on a regular basis. Actually, I never ate on it at all. Actually, I never seen a plate leave that cabinet. I don't know if they were waiting on the queen to show up, the president to show up. I, I don't know what they were waiting on. I see some amens in the house. Somebody got a china cabinet in their house right now. And you'd just kill your husband. The wife would kill your husband over that plate that gets broke. That's got that little gold edge around it. And you ain't never let food touch that plate. But it's precious to mama. 
And it better be precious to you. Because there's things in our life that we consider precious. Others might not. I didn't care nothing about the china. But it was precious to my aunt, so therefore it became valuable to me. I stayed away. We guard things that are precious. We put baby locks on our cabinets and all the drawers in our homes when we have those little exploring toddlers running around the house wanting to get into everything. We put the little outlet covers on the wall. I've had three boys. I understand that. you got to put them outlet covers over the wall because these little boys love to just stick things in these wall outlets. We get insurance on our cars because our cars are precious to us. They're of value. They're something that we cherish. So we get insurance on them, number one, because we want to be able to take care of an accident. Number two, we don't want to get locked up. We get a home security system on our, on our homes because everything in that home is valuable to us. We want to be able to come to church and feel like our homes and our valuables are being protected. So thus we put a home alarm system. Now, not everything that is of value is treated in a valuable manner. Not everything. One thing that really blows my mind the most is I can go to the grocery store and buy a pack of light bulbs. And I can walk down the aisle and go over there to a pack of, let's just say, four light bulbs, 60 watt, whatever, 100 watt, don't matter. Pack of four. And inside of that box is four light bulbs. One turned this way, one turned this way, and on the bottom and on the bottom, everybody knows. But they're open on both ends of these things. They are not protected whatsoever. No plastic around them. In flimsy, thin plastic. That, but if you go and try to buy a CD at the music store, it will take you and your prayer life, a box cutter, a chainsaw, to get the plastic off of a CD case. But if you yank up light bulbs, they're just going to shatter it up, fall right out the end of that box. I don't... I don't understand that. See, some things that are of value aren't always treated valuable. We're all this way for the most part, but we're also familiar with the ark that I spoke about here a moment ago. This morning, I talked about God making a cutting covenant with his people. And he told Abraham, see, I'm going to make a promise with you that I'm going to lead you to a place that flows with milk and honey. Your, your seed are going to be more than the stars, more than the sand, but this is the covenant and the promise between me and you. And he divided the animal and he let Abraham know, said, if I don't fulfill this promise, may I be like these dead animals. It was a covenant. It was a, an agreement. It was a promise. But tonight I want to talk about that ark of the covenant. I want to talk about which is also known as the ark of the testimony. Because see, inside the ark, God told Moses, now get this. God told Moses, now, I don't want you just to build this ark and just put these angels, these cherubims over the top of this and have a little lid on this and just an empty old box. But inside this box, I need you to gather me three items. And I love how the Old Testament connects with the New Testament. It just blows me away. If you were to do an aerial view, if they had drones back in the Old Testament... And you flew a drone over the tabernacle and looked down from above. It would be laid out just like a cross on the inside of that thing. From the altar all the way to the incense, the candles, the bread, the whole thing. It just would kind of look like a little bit of a cross. But here right now, I want to talk about what God told Moses. said, look, I want you to build this ark and I need you to put three things on the inside of it. I need you to go gather me up a jar of manna. That food that I provide with you every day on your journey. You're going to be out here a while. You need to eat. 
provide for you quail and I provide for you manna. Go get you a bucket of that manna up and I want you to put a lid on it and put it inside because see this manna was a reminder of God's daily provision along the way. Everybody say the way. And then he also said, I want you to get the law and I want you to put it inside of this mercy seat and put it inside of this Ark of the Covenant. And the word, the law represented the word and the truth. Everybody say the truth. Truth of God. Aaron's rod. He said, I also want you to go grab Aaron's rod because that dead stick, that dead rod had budded and had a little leaf, a little bud sticking out the side of that dead stick. And that represented God's chosen priesthood, God's ability to sustain life. So inside, if you will, inside of this mercy seat, inside of this ark, inside of this box of promise was inside manna, which represented the way and the provision of God as they were along their way. The law, which was the truth of God and Aaron's bud, which represented the life of God. In other words, it was the way, the truth and the life. Anybody ever heard somebody say that's who they were? Anybody remember his name? Everybody say it with me. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. In the Old Testament, the ark of God was where God's spirit resided. It was a cloud by day and a fire by night. The Israelites would take the ark into battle because they wanted the presence of God with them. And in so doing, when they would take that ark into the battle, they would get victory on the battlefield. This Ark of the Covenant was marched around the walls of Jericho for seven days until the walls came tumbling down. The Ark played a very important role in the lives and the history of the Israelites because that is where the presence of God was recognized and manifested. You can't put God in a box and he let them know I don't live in that, but that will be a representation of where my glory shall reside. I'm talking about sacred things. In fact, we, as we read in 1 Samuel 4, 6, and 7, we have a story of when the ark arrived on the battlefield against the Philistines. Verse 6 of 1 Samuel 4 says, And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said within themselves, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood at that moment that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. One of the most fearful things that could happen had actually came to the reality of the lives of the Philistines. Why are they shouting? I heard the ark just arrived. Well, we might as well drop everything. And the Philistines were afraid, verse 7 said. For they said this, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing herefore. It's an amazing thing when even the enemy understands the presence of the Lord comes when praise is lifted up. The Philistines understood something. If I hear God's people praising and shouting, God's presence just showed up for the battle. Oh, that ought to excite you right now because you're probably going through a storm. You're probably going through a dark time right now. And all you got to do is praise your way out of it. Clap your hands to him right now. Why don't you praise him right now? Why don't you lift a shout to the Lord right now? Why don't you thank him in your bondage? Why don't you thank him in your sickness? Why don't you thank him in your valley?
even the devil understands where the presence of the Lord is, then people get liberty about them. They start getting bold. They don't have a fear of walking up to me telling me to get out of church. The devil understands this. He knows that there's one God, just like we do. The thing is, he trembles when he thinks about it. There's something that causes fear in him. And I believe this generation has lost a little bit of that. I, I pray nobody here. But I believe our generation is losing a lot of their fear of God. A lot of their tremble in the presence, the sacredness, the, the holy things, the, the things that are separated, anointed, put aside. And it's all just another church service. It's just, just another prayer meeting. It's just another, uh, you know. Praise him. When you're in trouble, Paul and Silas knew about this. They found out praise opens up prison doors. They were just wanting to have a little church while they were in jail. They knew what they were. We are the church. We got the Holy Ghost in the upper room. We're going to have some church right here in this jail. And God said, well, you thought you were just going to have your little praise meeting, but I'm about to open your door. And not only am I about to open your door, I'm about to open your access to one of these prison guards. Because your praise don't only run your enemy off. It causes the lost to want some of God too. When you start worshiping God, somebody near you that has never felt the presence of the Lord might be drawn to want to worship God too. Let your light so shine before men that when they see your good works of praise, then they'll glorify your Father. I make sure that when I come to church, when I don't feel like it, Pastor, when I just don't feel like praising him, I praise him because there might be somebody near me that needs that praise. Because my praise unto Jesus is not predicated on how good I feel, but it's how good God has been to me. It's how good God is. It's because of who God is. Praise takes the focus off of you and it puts it back where it belongs on him. Mm. Your testimony. I don't know who needs to hear this, but your testimony is your greatest witness tool that you'll ever be given of God. Not everyone will accept your invitation to church, but you still need to extend the offer. My father-in-law told me, one time he said, he said, every soul is so valuable to God that they deserve at least an opportunity to reject him. We don't want him to, but we sit there and write people off by not even telling them about Jesus, not even inviting them to the house of the Lord. At least give them an opportunity to tell you no, because they're worth it. They're just like me and you. Such were some of you wretched, lost, filthy, broken, addicted, unclean. Such was all of us. But now we've been washed. Now we've been filled. Now we've been resurrected. Now we've been restored. I'm talking about sacred things. I want to examine some things about the ark here this morning, this evening. 
we find that God gave some pretty explicit instructions which pertain to the ark. Only certain people were in charge of it. First Chronicles 15 and 2 tells us the Levites were to handle the ark. Certain items were to cover it while in transportation. It had to look a certain way. It had to have a covering over it. Only certain individuals were allowed into the holiest of holies or in the presence of the ark. God was also very specific as how it was to be handled and how it was to be used. It wasn't just another thing that they just had access to. It wasn't just another item in the tabernacle. Just another box in the corner. God said I need it handled in a holy way. Exodus 25, God tells us how he planned on transporting this. He said in verse 12, he said, And he cast for it four rings of gold to be set by the four corners of it, even two rings upon the one side of it, and two rings upon the other side of it. And he made staves of shittim wood and, and overlaid them with gold, and he put the staves into the rings by the side of the ark to stay there, to bear it, to move it, to transport it. Yeah, but God, can't we just use some pine sticks? They're just as strong. You better get shittim wood. Ask Noah if you get any old wood you want. Ask Noah if any old wood matters. Ask Noah if any old mud on the outside matters. Ask Noah if it mattered if it only got one window or one door. Ask Noah if it mattered when I give you a blueprint as to how I want something built. Because that blueprint saved Noah and his family's life. It was made of shittim wood in the Old Testament and overlaid with gold. It had four rings of gold through each poles were inserted. These poles were never removed from the rings to show that the ark was a portable sanctuary. How many still believe that we serve a God who is a living, breathing, moving, mobile God? 1 Kings 8 and 8 lets us know that even in Solomon's temple, the poles stayed because he is a living God. He is a God of movement. He is not a God of complacency. He is not a God where you get comfortable on him and you still have the benefits of a moving God. If you was out there in that wilderness and you began to see that cloud move by day or that fire move by night, you can sit there and complain about it all you want. But if you didn't move when that moved, when you woke up in the morning, brother, you're going to be all by yourself. Because God ain't going to just sit around and wait on you to get through packing. You had to always be ready to move. Mm. According to scripture, I think we all agree that the ark provided certain benefits for the children of God. However, within the benefits, God established a system. And a method to use the ark. Any deviation from God's methods would result in benefits being null and void. Or even death. God's methods don't always make sense unto us. And we find that confirmed in scripture. When Isaiah said in 55 and 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. So are my ways than yours. But God, have you seen my plaques on the wall of my office? Have you seen all the letters before and after my name? My ways are higher than yours. And guess what? Just to rub it in a little further, my thoughts are also higher than yours. 
Proverbs 3 and 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on your own understanding. So when does God instruct us not to lean on our own understanding? Isaiah tells us this when he said his ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. So how many Christians, myself included, mess up when we do is described in Proverbs 14 and 12. That says, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end, therefore, is the way of death. There might seem a way outside of God to you today. I don't know if you're a visitor here tonight and you've tried it your way for years. I don't know if you're a good churchgoer and you've been trying to do it your way since the day God filled you with the Holy Ghost and you've seemed to run against wall from one wall to the next wall, from one obstacle to the other obstacle. But what God's trying to say is you think it seems right. But the end is destruction every time. We do what we think is right because so-and-so told us. Uncle so-and-so said this is the right way. He believed it this way. It worked for them generations in the past. And we tend to forget about scripture. We see in the book of Acts, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus finding certain disciples, said unto them, You receive the Holy Ghost since you believed. They said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, well, hold up, let me back up then. Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him. He was letting you know already, I'm baptizing you unto repentance, but there's one coming after me who you need to follow and who you need to listen to. Verse 5 says that when they heard this, they were all baptized again into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon these believers, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. There was something about these followers of John in the wilderness that when Paul walked up on them, that when the disciples walked up on them and began to notice something about them, the Bible says that Paul, passing through the upper coast, found certain disciples. What was it about these men that caused Paul to think they were disciples? See, you can look the part. You can go through the motions. You can make people think you got it all figured out. You can make people think, hey, I'm a part of the clique. I'm in there. I know everything. But when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, might find out never received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Come on, this is Pentecost Sunday. Never been baptized in Jesus' name, but have good intentions. Would love to do it if you just show them. When I came to church and I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the night I received it, right after I spoke in tongues and God filled me with the Holy Ghost, the brother praying for me leaned into my ear. He said, you want to get baptized? And I said, man, I've already been baptized. He said, oh, that's awesome. I caught him off guard. It was a quick response. He said, man, that's good. He moved on, and I left service feeling good. I was excited. I was out in the parking lot talking in tongues that night. 
I get home and me and the friends I came with were all sitting around talking about the service. Me getting the Holy Ghost, man, I'm all excited. I'm just sitting here bragging on me, man. I done got the Holy Ghost up there. I done got that tongue-talking thing. They even asked me if I wanted to be baptized. And when I said that, somebody in the room spoke up and said, what would you tell them? I said, I told them I already been baptized. That person looked at me and said, oh, no, you have not. I said, yes, I have. I've been baptized at two or three different churches, actually. I've been in the water. And she said, hold on just a minute. What did they say to you when they baptized you? It was doing it just like with John the Baptist's disciples, see? I was a believer. I got the Holy Ghost. I'm all excited. You can tell it. It's the glow. It's on my face. How were you baptized? Well, when he, I think when he baptized me, he said something like father and son or something. And something that he said in the name of the... She said, did he say the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? I don't remember that. I just remember him saying, like that scripture, Matthew, you know, you should be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. She said, let's look right here in the book of Acts and let me show you. And that was the first time somebody had opened up unto me Acts 2.38. And in the upper room, when they received the Holy Ghost, Peter stepping out on the balcony, beginning to answer the questions of those in the streets. And they said, what must we do? And Peter said, you got to repent. And I said, I did that. And then he said, you must be baptized in the name of Jesus. And when she said that to me, fear fell over me immediately. I said, I cannot believe I did not get baptized tonight. We have got to get to the next church service as soon as possible. All I needed was one scripture. All I needed was one word from God because I already had the Holy Ghost. I began to see clearly now. But see, getting baptized any other way, it was right in my eyes. It was wisdom unto me. That's all I knew until, like I said earlier, in the beginning of this service, I began to read the word of God and realized that there ain't nobody else in the New Testament that was ever baptized anything separate from Jesus' name or the name of the Lord. That's it. That's all I need. I don't need a bunch of theologians. I don't need a whole bunch of more books to tell me those that lived in that time. I don't need it concerned. I don't need it confirmed by Josephus. I just need, give me some book of Acts. Give me some Bible. I went back to that church that next service I could get to. I said, I need to be baptized. I thought, I thought, I thought he said, you've been, been baptized. I said, I didn't know I was baptized wrong. I just thought baptized, baptized, baptized. I know you could mess it up. <laughs> How many would agree that John the Baptist knew a thing or two about God and the things of God? Luke 7, 28, for I say unto you among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. I would submit unto you here tonight that John knew a thing or two about the things of God. But John, or, 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 but John operated under that old covenant. And when Paul met the disciples, he told them that that's not God's way of doing things anymore. There's been a new handshake. There's been a new covenant. There's been a new sacrifice. There's been a new thing cut off of that flesh. It's now not circumcision of the flesh. It's now circumcision of the heart. 
There's no more of that law trying to redeem you because law can't save you. It just reveals unto you your sinful state. And when the disciples that day heard that, they had to make a very crucial decision. Things change. Generations change. Technology changes. But God's word never changes. He is which is, which was, and which is to come. The same yesterday, today, and forever. God's word never fails. What was Paul telling John's disciples in 19? He was saying, you're trying to carry the gospel in the wrong cart. It worked good for another time of your life. Before that, Jesus got crucified. It was all right then. John was trying to prepare you for what was about to come. He was getting you to baptize under repentance. Something greater was coming down the road. And now you've been out here following that, and that's good. You got good intentions. But there's been a sacrifice on a cross. There's been a Calvary now. There's been a man from a risen grave. You're still trying to carry it in the wrong cart. That old cart might have been good enough for hay and for fruit and for wheat. But the gospel is sacred. I'm talking about sacred things. There's no excuse for not carrying sacred things in a sacred manner. They made a very crucial life-changing decision to be rebaptized in Jesus' name into a new covenant. A new promise. Now most Christians today would say, no, John told me to do it this way, and I know he was a good Christian. I, I know about old John. The only downfall he had is he ate too much locusts and honey, and he didn't ever wear clothes right. He's always wearing camel hair. But all the bad I can say about old John, he was a good old boy. And I know if he knew better, he'd have told me. Even John said himself, I'm baptizing you under repentance. But there's one coming after me, and he's so holy and so sacred, whose shoes I'm not even worthy to unlace. I need you to hear him. Many times we justify our wrongdoing by saying, well, if God wanted me to do it, he would have told me. I've actually heard people say that. I'm a good person. I don't do wrong. I don't drink. I don't cuss. I don't smoke. I don't lie. I've never robbed a bank. Felt like killing a few, but I resisted. And if God really wanted me to do what you're telling me, then he would have told me. There's two issues with that statement. It's likely that God did try to tell you, but you were so focused on what someone else had told you or your own perception of what should be that you didn't listen or hear the voice of God. Or he did tell you because everything to operate in God's way of doing things has been recorded in the word of God and you have access to the word of God. There's no excuses. Even in this generation of technology, it don't take 10 seconds to download a Bible app. Reading word, God's word is so easily accessible. So let's look back here now at 1 Chronicles here. David, a man after God's own heart. Psalms, what David wrote, he said in Psalms 38 and 9, Lord, all of my desires before thee 
and my groanings is not hid from thee. Psalms 42, and as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Psalm 70 and 4, let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee, and let such as love thy salvation say continually, let God be magnified. Not sure everyone could say that they love God and the things of God as much as David seemed to love them. His ultimate desire was for the things of God. But here we are in the great dilemma tonight. That Ark of the Covenant had been taken. Remember earlier when we read that the enemy heard the shouting and they knew that the Ark had entered into the camp and they were afraid. And like I said, how the enemy even understands when God's people start praising, they start running. They get fearful. They get worrisome. They begin to run in the other direction. They begin to drop their weapons. But God's children messed up in this journey. Which brings me to my point here tonight of sacred things. They weren't praising God for a victory when the Philistines heard them rejoicing. They weren't praising God because God was about to help them right now overcome like always before. They wasn't praising God simply because God had been good to them in their past. They weren't praising God for the victory at all. They had taken their vision off of what was important. And they began to look at the Ark of the Covenant in a different way. They began to praise and worship a box instead of the God of the box. They began to worship that thing that God Set aside to represent him instead of worshiping him. When that ark entered into the battlefield, all of a sudden they looked over and saw the ark. Didn't rejoice because the presence of the Lord was there. Because we find out later God was never even invited to the battle. When the Philistines heard this noise and this shout of praise, when the ark came into the camp, God's people got excited. Oh, there's the ark. There's that box. When it comes in, we get a win. There's that box. And they start shouting, yay, the box. Philistines got scared. And then one of them rose up and said, why are we fearful against this God's people? Let us rise up. Against them. And he encouraged the Philistines to press forward into the battle. And as the enemy pursued them, they overtook God's people and took the ark from God's people. Why? Because they weren't treating sacred things in a sacred manner. Church, listen to me now. You better make sure. When you're looking like you're praising God, you're not just going through the motions because pastor might be looking at you. Don't be doing it because the enemy can understand a fake. The enemy can understand your lifestyle when you're not here. The enemy understands what comes out of your mouth on a regular basis. Because when you come to church, don't just go through the motions and just worship the building around you or what you have access to. 
But it's the God who paid that price for you to have access to what you have access to. I'm talking about sacred things. I'm talking about an altar being more than just somewhere you stand. And somewhere you just kind of sway. And I'm not rebuking. I'm not rebuking. I feel in the Holy Ghost not just a place you come and bury your head and, and balance your checkbook. And try to figure out if you left the oven on or not. And trying to balance out all of your kids' issues at school. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place right now. But this church, this altar, this area of sacredness, this platform, I, I so, every time I preach somewhere, I so understand the sacredness of where I'm standing. I've not always lived a lifestyle that I would ever dare to stand behind a man's pulpit or very much even my own. Not the lifestyle I lived and when you step behind a place like this, it's more than just measurements and cuts. It's more than fine molding. It's more than a beautiful paint job. It's a place where the shepherd stands in a sacred area and speaks God's sacred word to God's sacred church. I'm talking about sacred things. I hope I'm shaking up somebody here tonight. I'm talking about not taking these things for granted tonight. Not sitting here blaming your lack of walking with God on everything around you. Because it ain't the ox's fault. The ox didn't ask for it. We can't go around and blame every issue of our walk with God on everybody around us. Well, if my mom and dad would have raised me right. Well, if I'd have started off in church. Well, if I'd had a good spouse, well, if I'd have just, nothing but just excuses and blaming the ox for stumbling. The world just being the world. Don't sit there and blame your child and the lack of anybody caring about your apostolic infilling. Keep you from worshiping God because the world is just being the world. the sacredness I'm talking about tonight after the ark was taken David desired to regain control of the ark of the covenant first chronicles 13 and 1 and David consulted with the captains of the thousands and the hundreds and with every leader and David said unto all the congregation of Israel even if it seem good unto you and that it be of the Lord our God let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all of the land of Israel and with them also to the priests and the Levites which are in their cities and suburbs that they may gather themselves unto us and let us bring the ark of God to us for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. David understood something. We took it for granted. We had access to such authority. We had access to such greatness. And then we sat there and let the enemy slip into our homes and take our prayer life from us, take our worship from us, yank our children from our grips, 
working on our spouse in a home when we're trying to pray them through the Holy Ghost and the enemy just storms into our homes, into our camp and takes what's sacred to us. Anybody ever had something sacred taken from you? You're standing here listening to the voice of a man that's had two sacred items pulled from my hands. I don't talk about it much and I won't go into detail, but I've lost two very sacred. And and when I say lost, God knows where I'm going with this because I feel it's temporary. I got three boys. I got a 24-year-old and I got a 21-year-old out there. Grow up in the church. Bible studies at the kitchen table. Could quote to you Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Parker, quote Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Hero Israel, the Lord God is one. Name of Jesus. The word, Lord our God is one. And he always ends it. And his name is Jesus, by the way. We got to train them up. Then all of a sudden the enemy slips in the camp. And it scares me to death. That it might have happened because I didn't feel I understood the sacredness of my moments I had. I'm talking to you out of experience of having two boys pulled from your grip. When you prayed so many years, fasted, invested. But I've also seen moments of my sacred boys walking back into an apostolic church and making their way down to an altar. And coming down and beginning to pray and watching God renew them and refresh them in the Holy Ghost. I've seen what happens when you pray for those sacred things to be restored. And David has come to that point. Gather everybody. Get the priest. We've got to go get the ark and get what's sacred and get it back in our lives. Clap your hands to him right now. David, though a newly established king of Israel, let's bring the presence of God back into our midst. Under Saul's reign, we didn't inquire of God, but let us now have God in our midst. He was reminding the people, the ark is where the presence of God dwells. It's his representation. We don't worship the ark. We worship God. Who would think their intentions and their motives of the heart weren't right? And here we are gathering the ark. First Chronicles 13 and 7. In their excitement, it's time to get the ark. Let's get it back. And this is what I'm talking about with sacred things. Intentions were good. Excitements were high. Everybody's gathered. Let's go get the ark. They run over there. They get the ark. And they get it lifted up. And they put it on the ox. First Chronicles 13 and 7. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart. Out of the house of Abinadab. And Uzzah and Ahio drave the cart. And David... And all Israel played and rejoiced before God with all of their might, with good intentions, singing, grabbing their instruments, doing what they knew to do was right, and good intentions, carrying what was sacred to them in the wrong manner. 
And in the process of the journey, because it wasn't being treated as sacred, the ox in which they put it upon stumbled somewhere along the way. And when it stumbled, it shifted. And Uzzah, out of his good intentions, reaches out and grabs something sacred the wrong way. Death hits him immediately, falling to the ground. Dead, life gone, party's over, the music stops, lights come on, smoke clears, and everybody's standing there with their jaws in their lap. Why would God do such a thing? We have people under David's direction desiring God's presence. They're willing to do what it takes to gather all the people up. They have all Israel playing instruments before God, singing and rejoicing before the presence of God. And then they got God a shiny new cart. I'm sure it was the most modern cart they'd ever had. Efficient cart. Probably had all the bells and whistles. But it wasn't God's plan. It wasn't what God intended Brother, where are you going with this here tonight? Listen to me. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And he smote him because he put his hand to the ark. And there he died before God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. Wherefore, that place is called Berezuzah, I believe, to this day. And David was afraid of God that day. Fear. Fear, saying, how shall I bring the ark of God home to me now? If I can't do it my way. Oh, pastor. (laughs) So David brought not the ark home to himself, to the city of David, but carried it aside unto the house of Obadidim, the Gittite. So the question here tonight is this. Why in the midst of all good intentions, why in the midst of right motives, Why in the midst of praise and worship did a man's life be taken from him? David become displeased with God that he loved so much. David becomes fearful of God that he trusted so much. And they had to leave the the ark that they had been waiting so long for. Why would God do such a thing? Because the sacred things of God must be carried and treated in a very sacred manner. This is Pentecost Sunday I'm talking about. I'm talking about that Ark of the Covenant being carried a certain way. You remember earlier when I mentioned unto you, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And how God treats everything the same way from the beginning to now. What was sacred to God in the garden is sacred to God right now. What was so sacred to God in the garden? The Bible said after Adam and Eve had sinned, the Bible says God came in the cool of the day. He called out to Adam. God sees the sacredness of humanity as a moment where he can just fellowship with us. God's sacredness never changes. God's covenants never change. God's promises never change. What God saw as sacred then God sees the sacred now. And the reason I brought this up on Pentecost Sunday is simply this. 
I don't know who all here has received the Holy Ghost. I'm assuming a majority of everybody here. I'm assuming a majority of everybody in this place has had God's spirit been placed inside of you as his vessel. That was created in his image. Because I need you to understand something. You're not just any temple. You're a holy temple. You're a sacred temple. You're a sacred temple. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? It's an agreement of a covenant that I made. I created you in my image to be a temple of transportation of my spirit to all of humanity on this earth and I need you to treat that moment as sacred as possible come to the music right now first Samuel 15 behold to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fats of the ram I'm not talking about sacred things When God told the Israelites how to transport the Ark of the Covenant, he had a certain way he wanted it done because what represented his presence was considered sacred and very important. So how does the Bible connect us here today to the Ark of the Covenant? We have sacred things in this building right now. Whether you think it or not, whether your spouse would agree with me or not, There's a lot of sacred items in this place right now, according to the word of God. We have vessels in this building, as I speak, that God dwells in. As God has chosen as transportation to reach your city, to save your family, to make a difference in your church. Because God uses his people. To reach his people. There was a man that approached a pastor one night. He was so fed up with what was going on in the church. He walked up to pastor. He said, I'm sick and tired, pastor. I'm leaving. I'm quitting this place. I don't want to go here anymore. Pastor said, what's going on? He said, man, I come to church, and all I do is look around, and I see people talking. I see people playing on their phone. I see people gossiping. I see people just sitting around, not worried about what's going on in church, and I'm getting sick and tired of it. I'm ready to leave this place. Pastor said, before you do, please do me a great favor. Go into my office. Pour, I got a fresh coffee pot in there this morning. Pour a tall cup of coffee in my cup right beside that pot. Pour it up all the way to the brim. And if you can get around this church without spilling anything at all, if you can walk around this church during the praise and worship in that coffee cup filled to the brim and not spill a drop, I won't argue with you about leaving. You can go right on out the door. He said, would you at least do that? He said, yeah, I believe I could at least do that. So he comes in there and service starts and I bet everybody else was a little confused as to what was happening. But the man starts over here on the right side of the church with that coffee cup and he walks around that building just like this. 
with that coffee cup. Church is going on. They're worshiping. They're singing. And he's walking around trying not to spill a drop because he was ready to leave that church. He gets all the way around that building. And he comes over here back around to the pastor with this little smirkish grin on his face and hands the coffee to the pastor and says, I did it. I didn't drop a drop. He said, well, congratulations. But by chance, while you were walking, did you notice anybody on their phones? Did you notice anybody talking and gossiping? Did you notice anybody not connected to a church service? He said, well, no, I was focused on the hot coffee. He said, when you take your eyes off of what is the most sacred and begin to look at things around you, you ain't going to do nothing but lose in your walk. You're going to take your eyes off of sacred things. Everybody standing here with me tonight. You're going to begin to take your eyes off the things that are sacred. And too many times we carry our lives through every day in a different way that God designed us to do. We don't carry ourselves in a sacred manner of consecration, of prayer, and worship, and dedication, and separation from this world. And we're just careless as to how we treat our minds and treat ourselves. And here we are, priceless commodities, sacred in the eyes of God. And we blame the world because of how it's falling apart around us, Pastor. Well, if it wasn't for all this technology, if it wasn't for all this access to sin, if it wasn't for... It ain't the ox's fault. We took our eyes off of what was the most sacred. And we began to worry about the things around us. Thus, we stumble. And what is sacred begins to move from this area of sacredness. And death soon occurs. I know everybody in this place could probably look near you on the pew close to you and see an empty spot where somebody used to sit and it's killing you. It's hurting your spirit. It's, it's affecting you. Every time you come to church, you want to worship. But you notice that spot right there where brother or sister so-and-so sat. And you know how they stumbled somewhere along the way and the sacred cart shifted and somehow they moved out of the doors of the church. I want to challenge you here tonight. Your best bet in this moment tonight in this church is to not only pray, not only pray for God to restore you to your sacred thinking of who God is and restore your fear of God and restore your holy appetite of God, but to also restore those that somehow got off course that somehow lost their way, that somehow stumbled on the path of their life and things were lost. They're out there hungry. They're out there wanting to come back to God. They need our prayers. They need our consecration. They need our dedication. The prodigal son was only restored because the father didn't relocate. We love the story of the prodigal son. But if the father had gotten frustrated with waiting and waiting and waiting, then the son would have came back knocking on daddy's door and nobody would have been there to put the ring on his finger, the robe on his back and the shoes on his feet. And he would have went right back to the pig pen where he was. But it's because 
we lifted him up in prayer it's because we worship him in sacredness in our own lives keep walking for God brother keep living for God sister grandmama keep praying for those grandkids mom and daddy keep praying for those children because you have no idea how much the devil wants to strip them from you lift your hands to him right now as I plead with you talking about sacred things in this building you're sacred in the eyes of God your temples of the Holy Ghost right now carry your things carry yourselves in such a way lift your hands come on come on oh I feel there's a passion to pray right now I see some of those that are wanting to restore some consecration that are wanting to, to, to restore some prayer life and some worship in your spirit you haven't prayed you haven't been praying like you need to you ain't spoken tongues in a long time this is Pentecost Sunday not only is it a birthday but it's a day for you to be renewed in the Holy Ghost and to restore the sacredness of your life. This altar's wide open. You know what to do. I'm not going to tell you another emotional story to try to get you to cry about it. This is a place where you can bring the sacred things and have them restored in your walk. Don't be casual about your walk with God anymore. Don't be content with where you are right now. I'm talking about sacred things. right now pray like you never have pray like you never have pray like you never have your walk with God depends on it parents grab your children pray with them like you never have grab a hold to them like you never have pray for them Jesus. Oh, 
God, my God, my God. Pray, 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 pray. Pray, come on, somebody's walk is dependent on it. Take authority. Come on, church. Take authority right now. Restore those things in your spirit. Restore your prayer life. Restore your worship. Restore your love for the things of God. Don't try a new cart. God's works just fine. God's word is enough. authority right now. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Holy, holy, holy. That's it. He's still holy. He's still holy. thing and we're going to pray one more time. There you go. Keep praying. If you're already praying, keep playing. I don't want to lose what we're feeling right now. I don't know how long you've been in this present state you've been. You've been kind of like just dishware in a china cabinet that's been taken out and used and, and used casually. You've just kind of 
taken for granted the value of things of the Word of God. You begin to put aside some things in your life that you know that you shouldn't. Now is your moment in time to begin to pray for restoration. And because you're staying restored and because you're walking with God and you're keeping things sacred, God's going to begin to draw those that have gone away. God's going to begin to restore some things the enemy has taken. That's not just a flashy comment. I'm telling you, God will restore some things that the enemy has taken. One more time before we go. I want you to lift your praise unto him. Thank him for what he's done for you. Thank him for every time he's watched over you. Every time he's blessed you. Thank him right now and worship him in this. Worship him. Come on, that's beautiful. Let's lift our hands one more time, shall we? Let's give him praise. He's doing a great work in our hearts tonight. He's talked to us through the preacher, through his word, and he's doing a work right now. Praise you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. What a beautiful spirit. God has done a great work this week. It's almost like a, he just pressed in to give us revival when uh, we were least expecting it. So God is good. If you need a healing, God's going to heal you. If you need an answer, God has the answer. You keep trusting him. Hallelujah. And aren't we glad tonight to have the Loudermilks? Sister Loudermilk is here with us. Let's give her a hand. That's why we're feeling all this. We're so excited to see the family. Praise God. Oh, we are standing on holy ground there are angels help me sing it all around 
to sing a cappello, but I think this would be a good song. Ladies, come on. Everybody sing with us. We are standing on holy ground and I know that there are angels all around bow our heads all across this building there's a sacredness about this place father tonight i pray that we will humble our hearts lord that we will grasp hold of the revival that you have brushed across this platform lord thank you for the glory that we feel we want to be a holy people we want to be a people filled with the holy ghost we are a Pentecostal people. Hallelujah. And we thank you for it. Lord, now need every need tonight. The devil says it won't happen. I pray that everybody that's here that is sincere will receive exactly what they've come for. I pray that mighty things will transpire in the midst of this people and that this, this will be a summer that we will never forget because of the glory and the power of Almighty God. Put your hands together and thank God for what He's doing right now. Praise God. Remember, we've got several things going on, but there's, I think after service is the uh, Saks Fifth Avenue open again tonight. Did they say that it was?